Welcome to Mindset Matters, the official podcast of Oregon Realtors. In this podcast, we dive deep into the secrets of top performing agents, market trends, strategies, tips, and tricks that will transform and elevate your real estate career to new heights. Follow or subscribe today and stay tuned for a podcast that's not just about real estate. It's about mastering the mindset for success. Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Matters podcast. Today, we're fortunate to have Jeremy Rogers with us. Jeremy is the Government Affairs Director and General Counsel here at the Oregon Realtors. He started in April of 2019. His role has morphed into what it is today. There's so much that he's done in the last five years. I'm going to let him tell you about his role and what his departments he supervises and oversees now does for the members. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jenny. It's uh, such a pleasure to be here and I uh, hope that I'm able to provide some insights to our listeners today. Uh, I should just start by describing a little bit more about what the legal and government affairs departments at Oregon Realtors uh, do. So the legal department uh, really encompasses a whole wide range of tools and resources that we provide to our members to help them manage risk in their transactions. So probably one of the most well-known of those is the legal hotline. This is a service where members can write questions in regarding contract law, property law, or other issues that come up in their transactions. And they'll get a response from one of our attorneys within two days and often within a couple of hours. Uh, this service saves our members hundreds of dollars a year by giving them a resource to come to the association uh, to get a question answered initially rather than having to reach out to an outside attorney. We also document all of those questions uh, in a Q&A archive on our website, which is available to our members. We've got a model office policy guide that brokerages can use to establish office policies on a variety of topics. Uh, we have buyer and seller advisories that we draft and that our members can use to help their uh, buyer clients and seller clients understand all of the issues uh, and risks that may come along with a real estate transaction and get prepared for those. We've got toolkits that we create. Uh, our signature one is called the Risk Management Toolkit, which really covers everything from advertising to agency law to contracts um, and, and overall risk management strategies, really from soup to nuts on a real estate transaction. A flood insurance toolkit that members can use to help their clients understand uh, the risks of floods and the issues involved with flood insurance, uh, a DMCA toolkit, uh, which is really about copyright law and how our members can set up their websites appropriately not to violate those. So uh, those are just a handful of the services we provide. We also uh, do the professional standards administration in the legal department. So that uh, are the adjudication of um, the uh, you know member uh, code of ethics related complaints. And then, of course, uh, we also have uh, committees that oversee all of this work. So we have a business issues key committee that really is the committee where our members provide guidance on what the association can be doing to best serve the needs of the industry and our members in the area of risk management and really also governs our partnerships with lending, title, appraisal and other industry partners and how we can work together to help advance the industry. We've got a legal action committee that uh, oversees our legal action fund and uh, decides when the association will get involved in litigation, oftentimes uh, as an amicus curiae uh, joining in on a lawsuit to express the feelings uh, and views of the industry and, and uh, issues that will set a precedent that's important for property rights and real estate industry. And then, uh, of course, we have a professional standards committee as well, which oversees the uh, professional standards work. So that's all in the legal department. Uh, I know that's quite a bit, but I thought it was important to let folks know because there's a lot we do that they may not be aware of. Yeah. And those tools and resources are available to them. 
So before we get into advocacy, the second part of your job, let's stick with the risk management for a moment. So on top of all of those programs and services we currently provide, we also launched our own set of forms, Oregon Realtors Forms in 2023. You want to talk about that as a member benefit? Uh, Let's start with that. Yeah, well, thanks, Jenny. And actually, uh, we are coming up on our one-year anniversary of Forms, and we have a lot to share about our experiences over this first year and this tremendous benefit that we've been able to provide to our members. Uh, So Forms launched in February of 2023. And as we look back on the last year, um, there's quite a bit, I think, that we can be uh, proud of uh, in terms of the success of that launch. And I really want to thank the entire team that worked on this. We had a task force of uh, principal brokers from around the state. Uh, We now have 80 forms in our forms library. We have had over 13,000 members add the library to their transaction management platform. So either SkySlope, ZipForms, or DotLoop. Uh, about half of those have actually uh, done some sort of transaction with the forms. Um, and in total, we've had about 40,000 transactions created, right? Wow. So we have okay. men- members doing multiple. Now, of course, um, there were only 45,000 homes sold in Oregon in 2023. So the fact that they did a transaction doesn't mean that they closed the deal, but it meant that they um, opened up a file and maybe it was they were representing a buyer and the buyer made offers on properties, but the property, you know, weren't able to get the home or they used our advisories um, with a client, you know, or they used uh, the listing agreement or something else. And so um, really proud of, of that. And then uh, we uh, also know some information about the usage. So unsurprisingly, the usage of the forms really kind of um, mirrors the population of the state. So uh, Portland being the highest, followed by Ben, Medford, Eugene, and then Salem. And uh, we know that folks are using uh, our real residential real estate purchase and sale agreement as one of the top forms being used, which is not surprising, along with, um, of course, some of the uh, kind of forms that everyone uses for every transaction, like the disclosed limited agency agreement and the uh, real estate agency disclosure pamphlet, as well as our buyer and seller advisories. One of, oh, oh, no, go, go ahead, Jeremy. That's yeah. great news. That's good to hear. So Those one of the... One um, one of the things that we're most proud of, too, are the training resources that we've made available to our members. So we've actually created video video annotated versions of all our forms. And um, I want to throw out numbers that scare anyone here, but we have 700 individual videos attached to those. So what this is, is uh, each form has a variety of sections within it. And each section, we've created a video explaining how to use that section of the form. So you can pull up one of these video annotated forms and you can watch uh, the whole thing and just learn how to use that form. Or you can just watch a video from a particular section. Uh, we've done 36 webinars uh, on all you know different forms of ours, uh, explaining how to use those forms. We hosted 130 brokerage briefings, both in person and over Zoom to uh, brief entire real estate brokerages on the forms library and how to use the forms. We've held over 50 open houses. We do that every single Friday at 11 a.m. Our members can jump on and talk to either myself or our staff attorney, Nicholas Peasley, to uh, ask any questions they have about the use of our forms. We have offered and provided thousands of hours of continuing education credit to our members related to the forms including much of that free of charge. And then uh, we also asked our members to provide us with input on the the training resources that have been available. And we're proud to say that 
Uh, we have a 99% satisfaction rating and a 100% net promoter score on the training videos that we've done. And that net promoter score means, uh, you know, if they were asked to uh, recommend this to a friend or colleague, would they would they do that? And 100% of people said yes. So there's no shortage of training materials for our members to learn what is in the forms, what's included in the suite and content, specific content and additional training materials with the annotated videos to explain what each clause means in the form. That's right. And and um, let me break it down a little further because I think what's most important for people to know is how easy it is to get started and then know that these resources are available. So we've actually created, and I wanna thank Rick Harris who helped us create this curriculum. We have a two hour course and if you take that two hour course with a specially designed curriculum to teach you to use the forms, you'll be ready to go to use the forms, okay? So that's all the investment that's required to get started. And then all of these other resources that I mentioned, those are available to you to go onto the website and grab in real time to help you continue to learn, to build your skills and to get what you need just in time. So for companies, just to break this down even further for clarity, for brokerages, there needs to be each individual broker needs to take the training or the managing principal broker or who needs to take the training to be able to offer or to utilize the forms. Yeah, really anyone who's using the forms should take the training. So of course we encourage the managing principal brokers and principal brokers at the firms, but also all of the individual brokers. Um, in addition to the trainings that I mentioned for the principal brokers, we do also have a train the trainer program. So if a principal broker wants to be a trainer within their own brokerage, or if they want to go out into the community and train others or do it for say their local association, we actually have a course for that as well. And uh, on our website for Oregon Realtors uh, Forums, which is orforms.org, folks can sign up to be, be part of that train the trainer program, but that would provide even additional resources then that a principal broker could bring in house to provide to their own brokers. So in addition to that, the team, the Oregon Realtors team will assist brokerages as well with training to help managing principal brokers and their agents get up to speed quickly. Yeah, we're available, myself, Nicholas Peasley, we're available um, to come out and do trainings in person, to do those uh, over Zoom, whatever is needed. Um, and then of course, um, we do have that pool of training the trainers who also are available and you can find them on our website. So if uh, it was say a local association or a brokerage that wanted to either have a staff member come out or one of the certified trainers come out, uh, they could just reach out to us and we so can make that happen. The certified trainers are members. Yep. So if they wanna bring a certified trainer out, they're not only gonna get the legal content, they're gonna get a practical application of the legal content in the field, what it really means to, the, what the home inspection clause means or, or any other clause in the contract the trainers can bring the real life practical perspective. Yeah, that's right, Jenny. And, um, you know, that two hour course that we designed yeah. uh, really is uh, designed to cover those more practical elements. And um, we have uh, versions of that on our website recorded by principal brokers. And that is the course that the uh, when we do the trainer trainer program, that's the course that we uh, provide the tools and materials for those principal brokers to go out and teach. So. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in, since launch? If you could go back or even as we move forward with forms, what would you do differently, if anything? Thanks, Jenny. That's a, that's a really good question. And you know, the, the example that comes to my mind is uh, 
what happened with our launch of the buyer and seller advisory. So uh, as you know, those are documents that we've provided for years on our website, but we built them into the forms. And one of the things that we did uh, when we launched those in ZipForms and Skyslope and Dotloop was uh, put initials on uh, every page for a client to initial. And, you know, from the staff attorney perspective, we were thinking, well, gosh, this is just an extra layer of protection. Uh, but what we learned quickly from our members was that it was just too onerous for their clients to do in practice. Um, and, you know, that was a lesson learned. You know, it was an example where something might sound good coming from the attorneys, but it doesn't work in practice. So, you know, we quickly uh, shifted that. Um, now, uh, we sort of bolstered the overall advisory or um, acknowledgement language, but we only have the client have to sign off on that one time in the document itself. And then, of course, we have a couple of other times in our forms where they sign off on it if you're using our client representation agreement or our sale agreement. But um, appreciated the member feedback on that. And I think we took that lesson uh, going forward to make sure that, you know, we when we do something, we make sure that it works in practice, not just in theory. That's a great example of why this our forms development partnership with our members is working so well because there's the legal component and the practical component, and that's how you develop good forms. Yeah, I agree, Jenny. And and um, that's why we hope that, you know, comments keep coming if folks do have feedback. Um, and uh, we're going to be as nimble as we can to make sure that changes get deployed in a timely fashion if it's something that's really needed to be able to make the form uh, work well for everyone. We are now... Uh, I mean, we've always been with our programs, but even more so now with forms, you know, we're in the customer service business. Uh, our members need their forms when they need them. They need their questions answered when they need them answered, and they need to not have technological glitches that get in the way. So I'm uh, proud to say that we've developed really good relationships with our vendors, Skyslope, ZipForms, and Loop, And we believe that we're doing a good job in making sure that our members uh, issues are getting addressed if they have any. And that includes, they can directly reach out to vendors, but also uh, they can reach out to our team. And if they need our help blocking and tackling any issue they're having, we'll jump right in and get it taken care of for them if it's on the technology side. And if it's on the content side, they'll get patched through to myself or to Nicholas Peasley, our staff attorney, to get those questions answered, or we'll respond to those emails quickly. And so I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, it's not just about uh, what's in the forums. It's about being available to help the members um, when they have questions because it is a new product for people. Yeah. How are we handling member feedback regarding content? One thing is technological, making sure they can access the forms, which our vendors help with. But actual content, if a member has a some feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, how how are we addressing that? Yeah. So on content, there's a lot of ways that a member can provide us feedback. So we have a form on our Oregon Realtors Forums website for that. We actually host two uh, forums forums now at our spring conference and our fall conference to take feedback. And uh, we, we track all of that in a spreadsheet. Um, we respond almost immediately when someone submits a request for a change just to acknowledge that it was received and with some initial thoughts on the suggestion but then we'll consider it along with the other ones and decide if we're gonna make an update. Um, what I can say is that we have made quite a few updates from suggestions from members and the bulk of that actually happened during our soft launch period. We made the decision to do a soft launch in October of 2022 and gave ourselves three or four months to get 
to test drive the forms and get feedback. And that period we received significant feedback from members that really improved the forms. Since then, we also have received some feedback and we've made changes based on that feedback. But what we found is that the instances of suggestions over the last year has really uh, reduced in volume. We're not receiving a lot of suggestions right now, and particularly as it relates to our uh, residential purchase and sale agreement, we are not seeing a lot of requests for changes in there. And I think we take that as um, evidence that we have listened to our members and particularly during that soft launch period, made a lot of changes there. And um, also that, you know, we think that we've um, done a good job in making these things friendly for the, the members and for their clients. So when the team does receive feedback or suggestions for changes, do we do real-time changes if if the group believes internally that the change makes sense? So if we received a feedback that, for example, there was um, a typo or a missing comma or something, we would just do that immediately yeah. and we'd alert the vendors. If there's going to be a substantive change in how the form functions, then that's not something that we would do right away. We've moved on to a cycle now of roughly twice a year doing updates. And so we launched a set of updates January 22nd, I believe it was. Um, and then uh, we did a set of updates, I believe in August. And so we'd be looking to do that again. So we have that forms forum at the spring conference in April, and we would take feedback there, consider it along with all the other online feedback and then deploy any changes in July or August. So Jeremy, talk about the NAR litigation and what has transpired and what we've done here at the Oregon Realtors to try to help our members navigate this. Thanks, Jenny. And, you know, I won't uh, go at length on the actual litigation because I think, you know, our members have had a lot of information about that from other sources and they can find a lot on our website. But what I'll say is that um, first, uh, while we believe that the NAR, you know, the litigation that's been brought against NAR and real estate brokerages around cooperative compensation uh, is wrong on the law, it's wrong on the facts, and it's wrong on the economics, we also recognize that at the core of the claims that are coming forward uh, are, you know, questions about the transparency and negotiability of buyer agent commissions. Okay. And so what we want to do here at the Oregon Realtors is to prepare our members with tools that they can use uh, in their practice and with their clients to ensure that there is transparency and negotiability around buyer agent commissions. And so that is why we uh, have a very robust buyer representation agreement that has been part of our uh, forms library since launch. And we've really been stepping up recently our training on that form and how to use it. But we've also launched some new forms that we think really will help our members and their clients navigate this environment. Um, so I know one of the concerns that we often hear about the use of a buyer representation agreement is, well, if my client is agreeing to pay me directly as the buyer's agent and there's no cooperative compensation offered, how is my buyer going to be able to pay me and what are the tools available to still finance that fee through the transaction? So we've created the tools to help our members do that. So in the sale agreement now, um, these updates launched in January, uh, there's a checkbox for uh, the buyer to select if they are uh, wanting the seller to contribute towards their agent's fee. And then there's a short addendum that is used to lay out the details of that. Um, really, it's just a closing cost of the buyer 
when you have a buyer representation agreement in place and the buyers agreed to pay their agent. And the tools here allow the buyer to request the seller to pick up that closing cost of the buyer. And we've coordinated with, uh, you know, title companies and with uh, lenders sort of on how they're viewing all of this to make sure that our forms are going to work well for that situation. And we think with these really simple changes, we've allowed something that seems a bit daunting or complex um, to really be simplified for our members and for their buyer clients. How receptive are the lenders that you've spoke with or heard from? Yeah, I think the lenders are largely telling people, just calm down. This is just another closing cost, like any other closing cost of the buyer. And like any other closing cost, a buyer can request a seller to contribute towards that through the sale agreement. So I think that's really the message from lenders. Of course, there are the limitations that come from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac on how much a seller can contribute towards a buyer's closing costs. And those are either going to be... Um, 9% if you're like above a 20% uh, loan down payment or 6% at a 20% down payment or 4% for VA or 3% for a lower down payment loan. Um, but, uh, you know, th that's federal regulation. We're still waiting to hear from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac about whether there'll be any announcements or interpretations of the federal regulations around this issue. But uh, there's still plenty of room. Uh, to uh, address the uh, buyer agent closing costs uh, using these tools that we've created. So I realize there's still lots of uncertainty with this, with the litigation and appellate cases and so forth. But to date, have you heard from any of our members or lenders indicating they haven't been able to include their full commission as part of a closing cost? Has it been an issue yet, I, I suppose, is Along. Yeah, I haven't I heard any stories of that happening. We do know that there are, you know, instances out there where a zero percent uh, buyer agent commission is being offered um, from the listing side, and where the buyer is requesting the seller to pick it up as a closing cost. And uh, those, as far as we've heard, those transactions have moved through smoothly. So we're not aware of of any problem there there yet. But it's certainly a potential. So. Let's talk real quick about, since we're discussing the buyer broker situation, let's talk about our legislation here in Oregon and what you anticipate happening. We're in the middle of short session and how it all ties together with the forms that are newly developed, the NAR litigation and our members. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. We actually do have a, a bill uh, moving through the legislative session that addresses uh, a variety of real estate practices. So um, in addition to uh, requiring the use of buyer representation agreements, creates a regulatory framework around real estate wholesaling, and it addresses these future right to list contracts where some firms have been locking homeowners into 40-year agreements that would obligate them to use the firm to sell their home. So just zeroing in on the buyer broker piece. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that uh, we've learned is that uh, really, this buyer uh, use of the buyer representation agreement needs to become a standard of practice across the whole industry. And what you've seen is that uh, many states have moved towards mandating the use of the buyer representation agreement to make it the standard of practice. So that creates a level playing field um, where everybody is held to the same standard and where you know everybody is using these best practices that really do ensure um, you know complete. 
uh, transparency around the level of service that's going to be provided, the commission that's negotiated between the agent and their client. Um, and that really uh, kind of brings us uh, in line with the direction that other states are going and really the nation. And, and I think five years from now, we'll look back and people will say, can you believe that there was a time that we were operating on the buyer side without a contract with our yeah. client? That was going to be my next question, which I'm sure you've heard from some of our members. Why now, Jeremy? Why now? Why are we doing this now? Why are we proposing and supporting more state control over our business when it comes to this? So we don't take it lightly when we come forward to the legislature as an association and ask for more regulation. Okay, That's not something that we usually do. But uh, here we think it's really important for several reasons. Um, I, and I first I want to say we've been working on this since well before the outcome of the Sitzer Burnett lawsuit. And we've been advocating the use of buyer representation agreements for decades. Um, but the reality is that the uptake uh, an uptake of the use of these agreements in the marketplace, you know, is not at the level that uh, we think it should be given, you know, the amount of work we've put in to try to promote it as a best practice. And if you think about these lawsuits, for example, as I mentioned, at the core of the lawsuits, whether it's the sellers bringing lawsuits against a listing agent or it's the buyers bringing lawsuits against the buyer's agent, is the question of uh, negotiability and transparency around the buyer agent commission. And there is no better tool to be able to demonstrate that the buyer's agent commission and the level of service being provided was negotiated between the parties than the use of the buyer representation agreement. So I would say even for those who are reluctant or saying, why are you doing this now? And why are you requiring it? This is not only good for your client, it's good for you and it's good for the industry. And it really will be one of the best uh, pieces of information available to demonstrate that um, these important conversations are being had with clients, that there is full transparency, and that um, commissions are negotiable. And we, of course, know that. And we know that you have those conversations um, as, as our members. But uh, having this be used in every transaction is, is a tool that can demonstrate that. Would you agree that it's more critical now than ever, given the litigation? than our litigation plus the copycat lawsuits that are happening all over the country. Yeah, I think that, you know, even though our bill, for example, won't take effect if it passes until January 1st, 2025, I would say everybody should be using these agreements starting now. Um, there really isn't a reason to delay. There really isn't a downside. Um, and the important protections that it creates for your client, for you, uh, and uh, just overall in this highly litigious environment, I think is a uh, reason to be using these uh, immediately if you're not already. Yeah. The other thing I want to say is that I know that um, for folks who aren't used to using the buyer representation agreement or, you know, who are uh, sort of nervous about these situations where, you know, their their buyer might need to ask in a sale agreement for their uh, the seller to help contribute to the towards, towards those fees. We've actually launched and I'm announcing this here today because we're going to launch it along with this podcast, a hub on our website for members to learn how to use the buyer representation agreement to get video training from experts on how to talk to their client about their value. 
um, to learn how to use these new tools that we've created that allow buyers to ask seller to contribute towards the buyer agent fee in the sale agreement. Um, we've got videos, we've got handouts, we've got fact sheets. Um, and we think that that will be a wonderful resource for the members to, uh, you know, if you're already doing these things, great. If you're not, here's a set of tools that will help you transition. And we're also uh, hoping that this is a living and breathing uh, hub. So we want to hear feedback from our members about what other tools can we be providing to help them uh, get used to using these documents and to make this transition. What an amazing benefit for our members. Nice work. Everyone. We're trying. We're trying. Hey, no, that's, I mean, I, I have heard from our members since the lawsuit. I, I don't know what to say. How, what, what do we do? How do well, some of it, we can help them from the legal side, but their principal brokers need to help them on the practical side. And we're doing the best we can to provide the practical resources as well as the legally sufficient resources. So nice job. What a great resource. The other thing I want to mention is the URL for that hub. So uh, that is oregonrealtors.org slash BBA. Okay. Is that up and live? Yeah. So that is launching live along with this podcast. Great. Fantastic. And then the final thing I'll mention too, is that uh, if folks want to have a training, you know, if they want that either coming from attorneys or from principal brokers, uh, whatever they need to learn about the use of the buyer representation agreement, learn about the use of the new forms changes that we've made, um, learn about, you know, the issues of talking to their clients about uh, their value and, and talking them through a buyer rep agreement. We're here to help. And whether it's our attorneys from the realtors that you want to come out or it's what you want to get connected uh, with an expert in the field uh, uh, who practices real estate, we'll do what we can to make sure that you get the training resources that you need. Great. Well, Jeremy, I, with regard to the forms development, I can't thank you enough for all the hours and hard work you've put into development with the rest of the legal team and many of our members who've been involved from day one. I know it hasn't always been easy for a variety of reasons, but thank you for staying the course and keeping your head down and staying focused on what's important here. So the forums are great. Thanks, thank Jenny. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for the opportunity. And um, as you mentioned, we, we really want to hear the feedback from our members. So we hope they do take advantage of those yeah. tools we provided. Great. Thank you. So let's talk about, let's stick with the forms for a couple more minutes. From your perspective, since you know them inside now, what sections of our forms have helped, at least from a legal standpoint, have helped our members solve some real life practical problems? In other words, how is using our forms helping them navigate and get through a transaction? Thanks, Jen. A little easier than. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. And, you know, one of the things that um, we felt really positioned us well to be a forms provider was the fact that we have access to a lot of information about the challenges that our members face. So we talked earlier about the legal hotline. We've been operating that legal hotline for decades. And through that hotline, we've really learned about, you know, the issues that come up in transactions and the disputes that arise between buyers and sellers or between clients and their agents. And oftentimes those disputes are caused by ambiguities in contracts that are being used. Okay. So uh, now lawyers love ambiguity because ambiguity is what gives a lawyer on both sides of a dispute, the ability to come forward and credibly argue a case for their client. Right. 
But our goal as a forms provider is to prevent those disputes from ever happening. And so one of the things that we were able to do is really take the insights that we've learned from where, you know, people do end up in disputes and try to uh, proactively address those by the way that we drafted the form. So, you know, one example where I think that really comes through is in how we've dealt with repairs in the Oregon Realtors Forms. So one of the biggest sources of disputes uh, that happens in residential real estate transaction is around repairs and particularly uh, what happens if the repairs were not completed as one of the parties had believed they were required to be completed in the sale agreement. Okay. And uh, so really what needs to happen to address that is one, the, what the repairs are and how they're to be completed needs to be addressed as specifically as possible in the sale agreement. And then the process to be used and the rights and remedies of the parties, should there be a dispute about those repairs also needs to be addressed. And we've taken care of both of those things in the Oregon Realtors uh, sale agreement and repair addendum. So uh, in our repair addendum, the parties can use that document to specify which repairs can be done, uh, for example, by a licensed contractor and which repairs uh, can be done by the seller. Uh, there's a date certain by when the repairs need to be completed. And then we actually have a form that we've developed that the seller uses to notify the uh, buyer when the repairs are completed. The buyer has a reinspection process to review those repairs. And then the buyer can use that same form to notify the seller if the buyer believes there's deficiency in the repairs. Then a process is spelled out for the seller to take another crack at those repairs. And then at that point, if the buyer believes that they're still not done properly, the buyer can issue a termination notice under our forms, uh, terminate the transaction and receive a receipt of their earnest money. So uh, really what we've tried to do is kind of uh, from the beginning to the end of the process, spell it out so that parties know what to expect um, and they know what their rights are. See, one of the things that we would always hear on the hotline is those questions come in about, hey, my buyer believes that the repairs weren't done properly. What can they do next? Do they have a right to terminate? If they do terminate, will they keep their earnest money? And we kind of always had to shrug our shoulders and say, it depends, right? Because we don't know all the facts. And, um, and as I mentioned, if there's any ambiguity, there might be a credible argument on both sides. So by spelling it out in the forms, we've really created a process where uh, we don't need to receive those calls on the hotline because people now understand what they're supposed to do, um, both in notifying about the repairs and in notifying and uh, following through if there are any disputes about the repairs. So having all this information that you've learned through the years of monitoring the legal hotline and having a forms task force with members that are very involved in managing and forms review is what helped develop the forms that we have yeah, I think distributed today. Collectively, there was really decades of experience between the uh, really talented group of principal brokers that we had from around the state, um, al along with the uh, years and years of legal hotline questions that we'd received. Um, and of course, you know, we've been putting together all these risk management tools that I talked about earlier for our members to try to get at some of these issues. But with the forms, we really were able to hit them head on and try to prevent them before they even arise. So it sounds like the repair addendum and home inspection clause has really been flushed out and developed to be as user friendly as possible. Yeah, it has. And, you know, if, if, if it's okay, I'll talk about another one of these. Please. So, uh, 
The other one I want to talk about is what we call in our forms the notice of default, right? So the one of the other most frequent questions that we get on a legal hotline is about what does a party do if the other party of the transaction is not fulfilling an obligation that they had agreed to fulfill? So we would often get calls on the hotline saying, hey, the seller had promised to do X. The seller didn't do X. My buyer wants to now understand if they can terminate um, or how do they get seller to do X? Or, and if they do terminate, like, would they be able to keep their earnest money? And again, we sort of have to shrug our shoulders because, uh, you know, and Jenny, you're an attorney, so you know this, but, you know, part of the analysis about the, the remedies to a breach of contract is whether or not it was a material breach, right? Did the, did the breaching party, the provision they breached really go to the heart of the contract? Well, that's not a question that our members should be trying to answer for their clients, Right. And it's not a question that we really have enough information about on a legal hotline call to be able to answer for them. So the solution is to spell it out in the forms and to build it out. And that's what we did. So in our forms, anytime a party does not do something they said that they were going to do in the contract, we have a form for that other party to send to them to notify them that they are in default under the agreement and to give them a reasonable period of time to correct that default. And if they don't correct by that reasonable period of time, then our forms are crystal clear that the non-defaulting party can terminate the transaction and keep the earnest money. Right? So it's not automatic. It's up to the non-defaulting party whether they want to continue on or they're out. The non-defaulting party has a choice about whether to send that notice. And even once they've sent the notice, they have a choice about whether to terminate. But what we've done is we've taken this out of the hand of you know judges or arbitrators and mediators, and we've spelled it out in the sale agreement so that there's no ambiguity about what is to happen and when a breach is quote unquote material. Is there an annotated video on that? There is an annotated video for the uh, notice of default forms. We right. have one for the seller and one for the buyer as well. Lots of education materials out there to help them understand. Nice work. Anything else? Any other problems solved using our forms so that you can think of off the top of your head? Maybe the last one I'll hit is the advisories. So if you're, uh, well, I've talked to many attorneys who've, you know, worked through a mediation or an arbitration process with a client. Uh, I've talked to a lot of attorneys at the um, E&O companies. One of the most important things that comes forward in any dispute where a real estate agent has been, um, you know, accused by a client, for example, of professional negligence is going to be evidence of how that uh, agent had advised their client. And the buyer and seller advisories are tools that one, help the buyer and seller understand all of the issues that they're gonna face in a transaction and know where to get additional information and resources about those issues, whether it's inspections and the types of things that could come up such as radon um, or an oil tank, um, or if it's, zoning related issues, right? Those things are all described in the buyer and seller advisories. The other thing it does is provide that documentation that our members can use to demonstrate that they did in fact advise their client about important issues if there is a dispute in the future. So now I'm not saying that providing the written advisory means that you shouldn't also orally advise and do everything else you would, you should. 
but we've built these advisories into our forms process. So if you're using our listing agreement or our buyer representation agreement, the advisories are referenced and the client is acknowledging that they have received those advisories from you. When the client signs a sale agreement, the buyer and seller are acknowledging that they have received, read, and understand the buyer and seller advisory respectively. So we have several touch points here where those advisories come into play. Now those should always be given out at the beginning of the relationship with the client because some stuff in there isn't even just about like the sale agreement process, but stuff that will happen before then. So give it to your client, walk them through it, explain what it is. Um, and then there are multiple points along the way where the buyer and seller are going to be reminded of that and acknowledge that they have in fact received and read and understood those. And we think that that is really good for the client and it's really good for the real estate agent as well. With regard to the advisories, do you recommend that our members print them and deliver them to their clients or is it a web-based, intended to be a web-based doc? You know, you can use it either way. Um, they can be printed, they can be used web-based. I think the most important thing is that they're given to your client in a form in a format that they can use, right? So obviously, if you have a client that's not good with web-based materials, then you should print those out for your client. Yeah. So just make sure, and that should be part of your initial consultation with your client. Um, and we've been talking about buyer representation agreements, but one of the most important things you can do as a real estate agent is sit down with your client at the beginning of the relationship when you're talking about that listing agreement or talking about that buyer rep agreement share with them these advisories and ask them that question, you know, and, and maybe they want it in both formats and you're in a position to provide it to them and remind them to keep referring to it. It's not a one and done. Uh, there's a lot in those documents. We're not expecting that a client sit down and read it cover to cover initially. What we want them to know is what types of things are in it and that they can keep going back to it as issues come up in the transaction so that they can get more information as they need it. Yep. And that's where their expert they hired can help remind them to go, to reference the advisory. All right, Jeremy, as we wrap up, there's so many things to talk about, but as we wrap up, can you tell our listeners what you think the biggest issues the industry and our members are facing in the next six months? It could be one issue because there's probably multiple. Pick the biggest. Well, I mean, I think there's two things. Um, one of them is the one that we've been talking about a lot today, and that is um, transitioning to an environment where we are always using buyer representation agreements um, and where we are prepared uh, with our clients to deal with any situation, including situations where cooperative compensation is not offered. And then the second thing I think is the most important thing facing our industry right now is ensuring that there are homes for our industry members to sell. And I think uh, all of our listeners know how much of a crisis we're facing in Oregon with our housing shortage. By almost any measure that you look at on national studies, we have one of the worst housing shortages in the country. And uh, there's no more time to waste in reversing that trend. So we are working closely with the governor of Oregon and with legislators in the legislative session to try to advance a uh, bill, Senate Bill 1537, that would uh, really... Uh, open up more opportunities for housing production and uh, the, the passage of that bill and then the implementation and the follow through, I think are, are critical because uh, we're already seeing it. I mean, Oregon's, I believe lost population two years in a row. If we don't turn this housing crisis around right away um, or, you know, it'll take years, but if we don't start moving in the right direction right now, then um, the future of, of our state, 
um, the the things we love about it um, and the livelihood of our members, I think, is is at risk because there's just not enough places for people to live. Yeah, well stated. It's not easy to move the Titanic quickly, is it? But we got to get started somewhere and there's no perfect solution, but we got to get started. That's right. Thank you. Thank you for all your hard work over there in the building, the lobby team, our legislator members and all the legislators working hard to help move housing production along. Thank you, Jeremy. Look forward to having you back here on Mindset Matters. Thanks, Jenny. It was a lot of fun. Look forward to coming back.